We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 182. It's the ALDS Game 1 post-game recap. Scott, the Yankees got Trevor Boward. We did not see that one coming. Yeah, there weren't even, no drones were in sight. This dude obviously uh, had his restraining order with a drone was intact, and it's been good for him. I mean, look, we talked about this last episode saying how 
we thought that this was, and it was honestly, it was a it was a chance for the Yankees to take advantage of uh, a guy not named Corey Kluber pitching in the first game. And Trevor Bauer, while he had dominated the Yankees previously in the regular season and, and since the second half had started, he's been a different pitcher. Uh, came out today and did the exact same things. I mean, he had a the formula was perfect against the Yankees. It was breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball, and a few a few fastballs, and it worked. Uh, if you guys listened to the the yesterday's podcast, you know that Scott and I thought it was a huge mistake that Francona was starting um, Kluber in game two because it was going to give the Yankees a chance to jump on Trevor Bauer, who, yes, he's had a tremendous second half, but he's not Corey Kluber. He's not one of the best pitchers in the league. He looked like it tonight, but the fact of the matter is, he's not. We thought this was a, a good matchup for the Yankees, and if you were listening to pregame stuff, and even up until the first inning, everyone on Fox Sports 1, all the analysts, were, were saying that this is a weird move from Francona. The only one that was supporting him was David Ortiz, surprise, surprise, his old, his old player, his old manager. Um, your favorite analyst, A-Rod, was saying that this is a chance for the Yankees to steal a game, like we said. And it didn't take long for the, for John Smoltz and Vaskurgeon to start sucking off Trevor Bauer for all his weird mannerisms and all his training, new training option, op, regimens in the offseason and all this bullshit. So sick of hearing about Trevor Bauer. Well, I mean, that's what happens when the guy comes out and freaking dominates. I mean, look, we all we know what his name is, and, and that's one of the biggest reasons we're like, oh, Trevor Bauer's not one of the guys we need to be scared of. But when you watch the guy pitch against the New York Yankees, yeah, he is one of those guys because he pitches phenomenally against the New York Yankees every single freaking time, apparently, this year. And what he did today, he looked really good. He looked like a top-line starter, honestly. It wasn't the Yankees just, like, being completely baffled by a guy with mediocre stuff like his stuff tonight was really good that curveball was was being dropped for a dime at the bottom of the zone like on the black it it was a it was a ridiculous pitch I know people were complaining about the umpires on Twitter surprise fucking surprise because that happens every game like yeah okay he wasn't the best umpire but honestly the breaking balls no he sucked the breaking balls were pretty close the only one that I had a big problem with was the the fastball that started in and stayed in. It never hit the plate. It it wrapped around the plate. I I got a problem with when you're giving that inside of the plate with a fastball and you're giving a little bit extra on the corners for the breaking balls. At that point, you got no chance. The ump was terrible. But let me be clear. The reason that the Yankees lost this game was not the umpire. It was the fact that Trevor Bauer, like you just said, was filthy. That 12-6 to curveball was starting at the hitter's neck and ended, ending up on their, at their knees. The one he threw to judge in the first oh, inning that disgusting. started off the bitch fest on Twitter of everyone complaining about the umpire was a, was a perfect on-the-black curveball, like you said. No matter who you are, I don't care if you're Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Didi Gregorius, no matter who you are, you're not hitting that pitch. No, I don't even want Aaron Judge to swing at that pitch, ever. That's not a pitch that I want him to swing at. Granted, he did swing at a whole bunch of those, but that, he didn't swing at that one. And, and that, that pitch, he threw that pitch a few times. That's a nasty pitch. I mean, you can't do anything with that. If you, if you, the guy throws 96 miles an hour, too. When he's, when he's Everyone throwing, throws 96 miles an hour now. 96 yeah, is the new 91. That doesn't, no, that's, see, that's where you're wrong. 96 might be the new 91 for a fastball as, as, as velocity for a fastball. When you back it up with a curveball like that, 96 looks a lot faster, a lot faster, especially when it's cutting. 
so it's a it's a it's a very good pitch. And when you throw the again, when you can change speeds that drastically and have that much movement, that makes it that the the fastball that much more effective. I think so. The the one thing I hate most about umpires is when they're inconsistent. And I think that um, the umpire tonight was a little bit inconsistent with the way he was calling the strike zone. He seemed like he was very tight for Sonny Gray in the first couple innings. Then he started to loosen it up for Sonny Gray. Yeah, I was going to say, he had a strikeout that was at the top of the zone that was not right. even remotely a strike. Yeah, and Sonny Gray was bad. We're going to get into him. But he loosened it up to Sonny Gray in like the third and the fourth inning. And then Trevor Bauer was getting calls on both sides of the plate at the top of the strike zone and the bottom of the strike zone. So the 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 um, the strike zone was changing throughout the night. And I think that is the thing that's got to be most frustrating for hitters. And I know it's most frustrating for Joe Girardi. When the umpire is inconsistent, then you're absolutely screwed as a hitter. If you know, okay, he's not going to call the high pitch, so i got to focus on the low pitch. Even if it's maybe a little bit low, you can still get away w- with that. You can still make good swings. But when it's when he's Trevor Bauer's got his curveball working, he's locating up, down, in, out, left, right. It's just you're not going to hit him. Yeah, the bottom line is again, I'm, I'm not going after the umpire. Whatever the umpires, umpires generally suck. I mean, nine times out of ten, they suck. Well, we, if you we, talk about, we can the always complain about an umpire. The the umpire was 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 bad on both sides. Yeah, he probably gave Trevor Bauer more calls. Honestly, because Trevor Bauer was probably around the strike zone more often as well. There were a lot yep. more reasons. He was just better. He was better. He was probably hitting the glove better. There were a lot of there were a lot of things that you could consider into into why he was getting those calls too. I mean, don't even get me started on the freaking defense. But the you know the, the bottom line is the Yankees couldn't hit him. Uh, the the breaking balls that, that's a problem. This is a problem I see going forward. If you're if you have a, a team with a game plan going after our power hitters, they're going heavy breaking balls. And what Judge did tonight was was to me uh, not a good sign. Golden Sombrero, four strikeouts, and a lot of those balls wasn't him being overmatched by anything that he should be swinging at. It was all breaking balls out of the zone, and he was chasing horribly. It's like he pressed because he realized he wasn't getting any fastballs, so he's like, I got to swing at these. It's my only chance to make contact. He wasn't being disciplined to take his walks, and that's a problem. If he's not that guy, if he's not that guy trying to go the other way, trying to uh, make contact with that ball, going to the right side of the field, he's a different player. He he was getting fastballs. They were just all up in the strike zone. And that's how pitchers were attacking Judge when he was in his slump, was curveballs low and away and fastballs up in the strike zone. That's exactly what John Smoltz was talking about on the broadcast. But in September, Judge stopped swinging at the curveball and was only focusing on the fastball, and he was hitting it. Right. Uh, he got a couple fastballs yeah. in the second at-bat. First at-bat as well. He, he smoked a, a foul ball. It was like yeah. second or third pitch. He smoked one. He just missed it. But yeah, the at bat that he actually reached base on on the strikeout, he got a fastball that he missed um, on. I believe it was like a two one or two two pitch. So he he's not going to always. He's you can't hit every pitch. But if you're Aaron Judge, if you're Todd Frazier, who also looked foolish, there's a lot of guys who look foolish on the curveball tonight. Gary Sanchez looked terrible on the curveball tonight. You can't be missing the fastballs. And tomorrow night, or tonight as you guys are listening to this, Corey Kluber is just as bad. Yeah, it's a filthy slider. His slider is one of the filthiest pitches in baseball, and he backs it up with it with a fastball as well. So it's going to be more of the same shit. And as good as Trevor Bauer was tonight, I mean, Corey Kluber is a ten times the pitcher Trevor Bauer. Is. Yeah, and I heard tonight that um, one we knew that the Yankees. We had talked about that on a show a while ago that had had thrown. 
it was a surprising stat, but they had thrown one of the uh, they were one of the teams that threw the most breaking balls compared to fastballs in the uh, in Major League Baseball. The Indians and are the 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 Indians and the the um, Yankees. Are, I think the Yankees are number two, and the Yankees are, or the Indians are number one. But the Yankees were one of those teams as well. Um, and you know, there I, I, I guarantee you, we're, this you're going to start seeing this more often because you're it's being identified that the fastball is getting hit out of the ballpark more often than than it ever has been. I mean, we're seeing the launch angle. All these guys are looking for fastballs. They can't hit breaking balls, and they're just there just aren't as many breaking balls. I think when you're coming up through the uh, the minor leagues and such, and they're just not taught to hit them. They're hit. fastball hitting league, hundred percent. You get a guy in there that's throwing dimes and able to locate those breaking pitches. That's that's the biggest problem for this Yankees team and they're going to get a uh, again a steady dose of off speed tomorrow with Cor- uh, with Corey Kluber and and especially when the Yankees did have runners on base late in the game judge was up with first and second he got all curveballs he got a couple fastballs out of the strike zone up but they the Yankees made Andrew Miller work they get Cody Allen in there for a four out save judge is up and he just gets he gets curveball after curveball that's how they're going to pitch him when runners on base and that's when you want judge doing the damage yeah he might get a fastball when there's no one on base they might give up the solo home run but He's going to have to start laying off that curveball or start hitting the curveball the other way because he was pulling off as well. A lot of pitches when he was sitting on a fastball count and Bauer would throw him a little slider or a little curveball in the outside half, Judge was pulling off the ball and he, his his left hip was in the Cleveland Indians third base dugout before the pitch was even thrown. Yeah, and that goes against everything he's done this year that was when he was successful. When he was successful... You know, we've talked about this at nauseum, but the, he's going the other way. He's he's going with the pitch. He's not trying to just pull the ball. If the pull, if the ball is pulled uh, based on the way he's making contact by by st- still going at, the, at that approach, going the other way, you can still pull a ball because it depends on when you're swinging and when you're making contact. But still, you're there, ready to take the ball the other way if it is an off-speed pitch. And he's just not doing. He didn't do it tonight. I'm not gonna say he's not doing that because he did get back to that approach in September. So. You know he's just got to get back to that. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but uh, when he starts seeing a lot of breaking balls, it seems like it kind of throws off his rhythm, and he pressed a little bit. For the Yankees hitters, on the one hand, it's one game. It's you, you lost one game, right. you sucked for one game. We've seen this happen to Yankees teams in the past where they get shut out. Cliff Lee has shut them out in the playoffs multiple times. They come back the next night and, and they look like a totally different team. So I'm not saying that the Yankees are done in this series by a long shot, but but. Francona's gamble so far, the paying gamble off. we talked about, is paying off because he got way more than he was expecting out of Trevor Bauer. He was talking about bringing, thinking that he was going to have to bring Andrew Miller in in the fourth or the fifth inning tonight if Bauer couldn't go deep, and that he was willing to do that. Now he didn't even have to do that, and you've got Corey Kluber coming back for game two. So the Yankees are way backed up against the wall right now. It's not over. The hitters can, I don't know, the hitters can just erase the memory of game one and try and take a new approach to game two. Um, yeah, there, there were to- people on Twitter calling this is a, a must-win game. There were a lot of people saying that, that you got to win tonight well, because he got Kluber going tomorrow. Down 0-2 in a five-game series, you're done. And and I don't disagree with down down 0-2, it's, it's tough. you, you got to win three in a row against an extremely good team. Probably not going to happen. But that, at the same time, you can absolutely go out and, and, and battle with Corey Kluber and win. Look, look what the Yankees did um, against Chris Sale of Boston when he was going well. 
Uh, you know, every single time they went out there, they uh, they beat him. I think, um, yeah, they beat him every time, right? Maybe four, no, for the well, one the time they four, didn't lose. Four and one in his five starts. Yeah, so one sure. time they lost, but they should have won that game. That was the Chapman game that he blew. The, the correct, cur- yeah, yes. that sounds about right. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but so that's the type of game. And look, we got CC Sabathia going tomorrow. Um, don't have the number in front of me, but I think it's eight zero. Uh, following a, uh, a Yankee loss with a, a sub two yard, right? He was. He's the stopper. He's the guy. He's the guy you want coming up. He's he's exactly what what Andy Pettit used to be. After a loss, you need your stability there, and and CC, you know, flourishes in those situations. So, honestly, that's the guy I want on the mound tomorrow. I trust him to as much as you could trust anybody at this point. Not that that matters. Not that that makes a damn difference if you trust someone or not. But he's the guy, I mean, if you're, if you're going to look at it, he's the guy you want. So you got to come back out and approach and just battle with Kluber. Uh, it's funny that you were saying that people were, were calling this a must-win. Um, of course they're going to do that. But, yeah. but David Ortiz pregame had a gem. He said, when you're in the playoffs, you have to win. Mm. So Brilliant, brilliant uh, analysis. Yeah, it was brilliant analysis. Well, I got to tell you, the brilliant analysis didn't stop because when they're all picking series, you got A-Rod up there <laughs> picking a winner. While still getting paid twenty plus million dollars from mm-hmm. one of the teams he's picking, shocking that he picked the Yankees in the series. It's very shocking. And, and Ortiz even called him out for that. He said, "You're still on the payroll." Jesus. So you're getting paid twice for that for that uh, for that call. It's a joke. What an ass. I can't handle him. After I go back downstairs, we're about to record, and I'm, uh, I I forgot my phone downstairs. I go down to get my phone. The freaking TV's still on. A Rogers chirping and chirp. Shut up. Just shut up. Cannot listen to him talk after a loss. Really can't. Keep looking. Uh, the uh, the FS1 panel. Um, which where did Pete Rose go? Because I'm missing Pete Rose in my in my October baseball watching life. But they add in Keith Hernandez. That's Frank Thomas, Keith Hernandez, David Ortiz, Alex Rodriguez. Just too too many people on that panel. Yeah, that's a it's a random bunch of of of, uh, of dudes. But the. Um, Keith Hernandez is entertaining, honestly. I think he's probably he's pretty good. I don't think Frank Thomas is worth a damn up there. I think he has zero opinions that are worth a damn. Um, but whatever. You know what? I, the the whole the whole I didn't even watch the pregame, uh, the panel, and and watch all their analysis because half the time it's all smoke. I can't listen to that crap right now. Too, I'm too deep. That's that is the thing with the with us and the Yankees especially this year because we've been doing so many podcasts twice a week for for 6 months at this point. You when you hear someone talk about it at high level, it kind of just pisses you off, doesn't it? Yes, it does cuz 95% of the time it's all like things that that are going to get ratings that they think people want to hear about. Shit. And it's all a bunch of horse shit. And they don't know what they're talking about. And neither do we. No, whatever. We were, we're still looking at it at least all we year were calling long. We were calling uh, Tito Francona a moron for, for starting Trevor Bauer. This no, we were calling him cocky. No, no, no. We weren't calling him a moron. We were calling him cocky. We, we were, called him the worst manager in baseball. And we were also move. saying that he, he has an extremely good postseason record. And usually when he does weird things like this, a lot of the times it does work, unfortunately. But when you're looking well, at things a, on the surface, you're like, this is an opportunity for the Yankees, which it's, it was. It was an opportunity. As much as he had success with the Red Sox in the playoffs, I feel like last year in the playoffs with Cleveland and how he managed the bullpen was like the coming out party for Terry Francona as a manager. I don't know about that. I mean, 100% his coming out party was when he won the freaking World Series with the Red no, no, Sox. I'm talking about as he, like, amongst, non, amongst non 
fans of Terry Francona teams. I guess I don't know. I think he got a lot of credit. For, he got for so breaking much a, for breaking a, got, a, a ridiculous curse and long streak. True, but he got uh, well. He got booted out of town in Boston eventually got, because the players are a bunch of assholes. <laughs> That's why he got. He was getting more credit than than Joe Madden last year in the playoffs. People were almost saying that Joe Madden was over his head in that that World Series. Whatever. This is neither here nor there. Francona, so far, his move to start Trevor Bauer has been paying off. And not only was it because the Yankees couldn't hit, but it's because Sonny Gray looked like trash. And what did we say on the podcast yesterday? What was the one key for Sonny Gray? Don't Throw walk strikes. People. Don't walk people. What does he do? Walks Francisco Lindor to lead off the game. Walks four batters in three and a third innings. It's unacceptable. It's freaking unacceptable. Yeah, it's bad. There's no reason for... For him to not be around that strike zone, I mean, the only thing is, is that is just he's just he's lost something on on his uh, on his feel. <laughs> you know how I love when pitchers talk about losing a feel for a pitch when it's their freaking job to actually pitch the ball over the plate. I, I don't understand how you can go that long without with, with and struggling this long because th- this is his fourth start in a row now where he's he's struggled with his uh, with his control, and it's just one of those things, man. Like you got to make it a top priority to get out in front. You're looking at, at what Trevor Bauer's doing. He's out in front out of every batter, it seems like. And the, at that point, you got the guys on their heels, you know, not, ex- not knowing what to, what to expect. And that, that is when Sonny Gray can be Sonny Gray because you can't use an arsenal of like five pitches that are thrown well unless you're getting ahead of these guys. When you can get ahead of them and then they have no idea what's coming because you have that many pitches, that's when you can actually do well. So, you know, let's 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 make it a, a goddamn priority to get out there and and throw first pitch strike. Like, make that part of the game plan. It just didn't seem like it was it was there. It was like he was just trying to be too too fine with the strike zone, and he was just missing. And it was it was frustrating because it was changing pitch to pitch. And one time he'd throw a sinker on the black, and it would looked unhittable. And the next pitch, it would be in the dirt, and Gary Sanchez was flopping all over the place trying to block it. Or it was a spinning curveball in the middle of the plate. I believe there was one at bat. I want to say it was to Ramirez, but but I'm not totally sure. He threw two sinkers low and away that were unhittable. And then he threw a third sinker, and it was just flat in the middle of the plate. So from pitch to pitch, Sonny Gray was inconsistent. He worked out of a bases-loaded jam in the second inning with only one run. And you're thinking, okay, maybe this is some momentum for the Yankees. It actually took the Cleveland crowd out of it. Yeah, it was a huge spot. It was a huge spot, and he came up big. Uh, with getting that, uh, getting a double play, and then getting out of there, it was a, right. it was a huge spot in the game. But the Yankees' offense was doing nothing, so right. it was it was a combination of Sonny Gray pitching on his heels, and also the Yankees' offense not doing anything. And nothing went the went the Yankees' way tonight because right after that, Sonny Gray escaped the the jam in the second inning. I think wasn't it Headley who was leading off the next inning who hit that ball in the gap and Kipnis makes that diving play. Yeah. So immediately you're, the the Cleveland fans are all back on their feet cheering and we were we know how much a, a crowd can have an impact on on these playoff games. It's it's a huge factor. It was a big factor in the wild card game that we were at and it's a big factor these Cleveland fans are going nuts. They want this thing badly and shutting them up is is not easy, but the Yankees briefly did it at moments tonight, and it just didn't last for more than two seconds. Well, no, and and the credit goes to Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer had this lineup's number. He had a, he came out there with a a very good game plan. Whoever you know, the pitching coach. I don't even remember his name. The pitching coach for Cleveland and and Trevor Bauer obviously devised a plan that was 
you know, very good to, to neutralize the middle of that lineup. And that was the biggest thing. Gardner had some really good at-bats. I mean, practically every at-bat you see from that guy is a good at-bat. But he had good, deep at-bats. Even in the first inning, he got out, ran the, ran the count deep. Second one, ran the count deep. Headley, same thing. Headley had great at-bats. Probably was the best offensive player if that's... Or no, Starling Castro was the best offensive player. Headley was right there, though, making that... Two of the three hits. Making good contact, um, you know, that, that shot into the gap, and then worked uh, a, a walk against Andrew Miller. That was a hell of an at-bat. So there was a okay. You know, well, when you have three good at bats, it's out a of problem. Like I know, but <laughs> there's two guys on there that actually had those at bats. Up is the thing. Everybody else was was practically dominated by Trevor Bauer. Um, do you you, you want to get into this Gary Sanchez stuff because it was it was ugly. It was ugly tonight, and I'm not putting it 100 percent on Gary Sanchez because Sonny was throwing pitches in the dirt. Jaime Garcia was throwing pitches in the dirt, and they were throwing a lot of them in the dirt. But it was clear that he couldn't block them. A lot of them were bouncing left and right, and the Cleveland base runners were taking advantage of it. They were taking the most gigantic secondary leads because they knew Sanchez struggles with anything low in the dirt. I mean, people are talking about the fact that, that this is, this is not, we all start talking about the rest of his game. Great. You cannot have a catcher in the playoffs that does this. You just cannot. And I, I will I will give him a pass in the sense that uh, Sonny Gray and uh, and Jaime Garcia were absolutely throwing a lot of balls in the dirt. There's no doubt about it. And, I, and I'm not expecting him to be the best freaking defensive catcher. He doesn't need to be that. But my God, you just need to control the balls a little bit. They're just there's no anticipating where the ball's gonna go. He, it's like he doesn't know. It's like he looks down and then I don't know where the ball is and it shoots freaking 20 feet off of the heel of his glove or it hits off of his pad and goes left and right no you're a major league catcher that ball is supposed to stay in front of you you know the ball's going in the dirt that's the biggest thing it's gonna be in the dirt Sonny Gray is gonna throw the ball down Jaime Garcia is gonna throw the ball down this is a known thing like I know you don't know exactly where that ball is gonna go but you have a pretty goddamn good idea where that ball is gonna go you have a pretty good idea how that ball is gonna spin you need to square up to it. He just doesn't know how to do it. And you were talking about the secondary leads. It's, it's part of the game plan. Their scouting report on Gary Sanchez says, take a huge secondary lead, anticipate a ball getting away from the catcher, and take every bag you can. If you see a ball in the dirt, go. I don't care who you are. Jay Bruce is going to take bags this series on these balls in the dirt. I guarantee it. You're going to see everybody doing it. It was the... It would directly re- led to a run, to, uh, the fourth run for Cleveland. The pass balls allowed Ramirez to get to second and third. Jaime Garcia has a pretty good at bat against Jay Bruce. He flies out to center field, but it's a it's a sack fly because Gary Sanchez allowed Ramirez to go from first to third thanks to two pass balls. Yeah, and I think one of them was from Adam Warren. I think that Garcia came in and had that. Uh, You're right. When the runner was on second, but the first one was from Adam Warren, and they charged it with wild pitches, which is freaking generous of the uh, scorekeeper to do that. Because I don't know, I have a hard time calling a wild pitch, uh, a breaking ball in the dirt in front of the catcher, a wild pitch, considering that's what's called, and usually it's actually asked to be buried. These guys want these pitches to be buried because that's where they're unhittable. They start in the strike zone and they die. And if it's in the dirt, so be it. But the catcher's got to block it. And if you can't block it, you can't throw it. And if you can't throw it, chances are you're going away from one of the strengths of your pitcher. 
and that's a huge problem. You're changing the way you throw. You're changing the way your uh, some of your pitchers have you know some of their strengths. You're going away from those things, and it, it's man, I just I, I'm sick of harping on this, but at the same time, it just keeps coming up every single freaking at every game, and we know damn well that it's 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 a factor because these runners are literally anticipating it. It seems like it happens more though with with Sonny and well because they because they throw a lot of off speed pitches and the off speed pitches are going to be in the dirt more. That's why Severino it's not as much of an issue because what you see from Severino is you see fastball, changeup, and slider, and he's not in the dirt. He's he's in the glove, so that's why he really doesn't have too much of a problem with Severino. Well, Sabathia is going to be throwing a lot of curveballs and changeups tomorrow night. You're damn so. right he is. Uh, and Sabathia and in, might Sabathia might bounce back at him too. And in tonight's game, it didn't wasn't the difference in the game because the Yankees had three hits. But tomorrow night, if one run scores thanks to some pass balls or wild pitches or whatever you want to call it, that could be the game against Corey Kluber. Yeah, no, I mean it's true. I, that the same show I was listening to the other day, I was telling you about the R two C two thing with Ruko. When you, he had uh, when he and CC were talking about this, they actually brought this up. They Ruko asked CC about this exact scenario, talking about uh, Sanchez's pass balls and asking, "Does it make a difference in your head when you're going to throw to Gary Sanchez or to a catcher that is you know you have a little bit of worry they're not going to block?" What was CC's answer? Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> it does affect yeah, how shit. I throw. It Duh. does. It does affect the the pitch I throw and how I throw it. It's in the back of my mind. There's no doubt about it. He did say that uh, Gary Sanchez works his ass off on the blocking and that if he didn't want, uh, he said, if, if he doesn't go back there, if he didn't work his ass off on the blocking, then we'd have a problem. But I do see him out there working his ass off. So whatever. I don't doubt it. No, I don't, I don't doubt, doubt it either. It's not like he's trying to do it. I get it. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a soft spot in his game. It's a glaring soft spot in his game right now that again, needs to be adjusted in the offseason. But it's, it's, it's a humongous problem right now. I just hate the people, and I know you do too, that say that you can't complain about his game, uh, or you can't complain about that part of his game because overall he's such a positive player. Bullshit. It's we're a, not such doubting, a bunch of bullshit. We're not denying the fact that he's an elite offensive player and that his throwing abilities are great and that clearly he has a good leadership and reputation behind the plate and all that stuff with the pitchers as far as calling a game because the pitching staff on the whole was pretty good this year. But he's so bad at blocking the balls, and for us to ignore that would be stupid and disingenuous. No, that's like telling me, it's like me going out and saying, oh man, Brendan Ryan, what a great ball player. He's so good. His defense is phenomenal. One of the best defensive players in the league. He can run the bases with no with, with every anybody. He's such a good leader in that clubhouse, but man, he can't hit. <laughs> he can't hit. <laughs> good, good Brendan Ryan callback. Damn. Yeah. I had the mustache in my head for some reason. Um, all right, let's 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 try and finish on a couple positives so people aren't too depressed going into game <laughs> two. Uh, first of all, um, I said it briefly before, but the Yankees did make Andrew Miller throw 32 pitches, and they did make Cody Allen come in for a four-out save, albeit it was an easy four-out save. But that's, those are their two, that's Cleveland's two best relievers, so if the Yankees can knock Corey Kluber out in the sixth or seventh inning by driving up his pitch count or something like that, at least you made those guys throw a lot of pitches tonight. Another um, another positive I saw from the Yankee side is that Batances, who had looked horrible and had no confidence from Girardi, 
struck out the side. Looked great. I mean, honestly, looked looked phenomenal. Looked like old Batantis. Looked like the good Batantis. And that's the guy that this Yankees team needs if they're going to do anything. I mean, they need they need him strong. I mean, they need to hit the ball too, but they need to they need him to be strong in that in that uh, bullpen. So that was a positive sign. There's no doubt about it. And you talked about Corey Kluber. You know, one thing they did they didn't really do very well against uh, Trevor Bauer is lay off those breaking balls out of the zone. They got to do that with Corey Kluber. They got to stay patient and and like you said drive up that that pitch count because they're not their chances are they're not going to put up a five spot on Corey, on Corey Kluber. So one of the things that they need to do is they need to see the pitches and they need to drive up that pitch count so that they can uh, get him out of the game and and at least put that in the back of Francona's mind saying, "Hey, you know, we need to pull him at, at X amount of pitches. I know he'll go over 100 pitches, but you need to you need to put that situation in play because if you're if you're going out there and you're trying to be aggressive against Corey Kluber, I, I just don't think that's the right game plan. I think you got to be patient and you got to you, you got to be able to identify those breaking pitches out of the zone and lay off them. Otherwise, it's going to be another long day. But these guys got to make that quick adjustment. We need uh, Matt Holiday or some one of the veterans to implement a kangaroo court that anytime someone swings at a breaking ball outside of the strike zone, they're fined. Yeah, well, I don't. I think it's too late for that shit, but. I think that I I think that some of these vets need to get in the ear of these guys and you know talking about that like there needs to be a better game plan going in and and, and talking about how they're going to be attacked and and making Does. sure that they are able to I think one of the problems is that they were just they were getting up too much they were a, a little um, it seemed like they were just you know too too swing happy they were just they were chasing too many pitches like trying to be a hero. Does Girardi do anything different with the lineup game too? Yeah, I could see him doing stuff. I bet Holiday's plays. I could see him getting in more veterans. I bet well, Ellsbury's going to get in that bat. Or get I don't it. know. I mean, Corey Kluber's splits are obviously good against both both lefties and righties. Right. I don't know if he struggles more against lefties though. Um, but but yeah, if that's the case, obviously you're going to have. I think Hicks is going to play. I think Hicks is. Well, gonna he's be been the playing fielder. great. He has to. Yeah. And he can bat lefty and righty, so that's fine. I, I think then um, you, you got to make a decision between Ellsbury and, and Headley at DH. They, I mean, they're both left-handed hitters against Corey Kluber, and Headley, like you said, had good at-bats tonight. Didn't have a hit, but had good at-bats. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think Headley is uh, – I said Holiday. I meant Headley. I think Headley is going to play. I think he's going to be the DH. Um, so that's then, nothing different than in the lineup. I guess there's going to be nothing different in the lineup then. Well, I, the only thing that if maybe Bird sits. If Bird if Bird were to sit, then Headley would play first, and then you're going to see uh, yeah. Ellsbury in the lineup as well. And, and yeah. he's just trying to load it up on, on – but then again, why would you sit Bird? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because you're trying to switch things up. But it's probably too much of a panic to, to switch things up. I'm not saying he's going to or even that he should. It's just um, I liked the lineup today. I thought it was I thought it was the lineup I would have put out today. The thing is, with a, a five game series, you almost do have to hit the panic button a little bit earlier than a seven game series, uh, because you know you lose that second game and you got to win three in a row just to continue that's on. It's not going to happen. That's, You're that's not going to win three in a row against, this against, against the Indians. Not against but, this so, team. Here's where the panic button will come. It's not going to come pregame in the lineup. It's going to come that as soon as Sabathia gets in trouble, he's going to go to his rested bullpen of Green, Robertson, Canley, and Chapman, who are all rested, did not pitch for two days now. So just like the wild card game, as soon as Sabathia is in trouble, you're going to see Chad Green and David Robertson come in this game. Yeah. 
No, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that there's going to be, and it's CC. We, I mean, CC is good for what five, five, six innings. I think that's what they're hoping to get out of him. I think if anyway. you get five innings out of Sabathia, you go to Chad Green. Yeah, well, I, the the problem is, is that we haven't gotten any length from anybody, you know, so far. The wild card, obviously, we know what happened there. Then today was three innings. So hey, three and a third is better than a third. So the, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Same same damage. The uh, that is true. Same damage. The the problem is is uh, is th- is that he's not going to have you have zero zero leash uh, when you're CC, but CC knows that. Uh, and CC's going to be the other thing about CC is uh, in this type of situation. Uh, if we've looked at, uh, at what he's done this year, is he's he's learned to work out of jams as well because he's he's walking more guys this year. That's something that he's lived with, right? He's lived with that because um, he's being more careful around the strike zone, so he knows he's going to be walking more guys. But then again, he's got the confidence that he can get out of those those situations. So that is something to circle as well. If he's walking guys uh, against the Indians. I'll tell you, this team is they 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 will make you pay for it, and um, so I don't think he can be as as loosey goosey as he's been uh, during the regular season, and and you know you know flirting with the strike zone um, as much. But he's got to be on point. He's got to nibble those corners, and he's got he's got to get those calls. If we see early that he's not getting the the corners, I think he's in trouble. So it's crazy how similar the Yankees and the Indians are um, as far as if they're just looking to get a lead in the middle of the game so they can go to their bullpen. The Indians do everything slightly better than the Yankees do. They have a better ace pitcher. They have, uh, a, I don't want to say, they have a better rotation one through five. I don't know if they have a better lineup, but they have a very deep lineup. They just, are, they're, they're better in a lot of areas, but their still mentality is get it to the bullpen, get it to Andrew Miller. Just like the Yankees mentality is get it to Chad Green. So I think you could actually put some pressure on, on the Indians in game two, if you get a, if you scratch a run off Corey Kluber, he hasn't pitched since last Saturday. So he's going to be on extra, extra rest. And the whole reason they're trying to pitch him in game two is so he's on normal rest going forward in the playoffs. So maybe he's rusty in the first inning and you, you scratch a run off of him. That's, you know, that's one of those things. <laughs> that's one of those things you got you to gotta hope for and, and you got to go after it. We'll see. I still think though. I still think you got to be if you're if you're playing into his strengths and you're going after these breaking balls and you're and you're chasing some of that stuff. That's where you're getting in trouble. So there's going to be a fine screwed. line. Got to be a screwed. fine line about being aggressive and trying to get out front and not being too aggressive and and waiting for your pitch and then striking. Look, the Yankees are not going to have very many opportunities to to um to attack him. But when they do, they have to take advantage of it. That's the bottom line. They can't miss their opportunities. There were fastballs tonight, like you were talking about the judge and some of these other guys that were uh, thrown over the plate that they swung at and either fouled off or just didn't hit. And those, those opportunities just can't be missed against Corey Kluber in, in the second game because they're, they're going to be few and far between. All right, guys. Well, that's it for the, the game one recap podcast. And don't forget game two, weird time, five o'clock start. Um, I don't want people missing it at work, staying, staying late on a Friday, being a hero at work. But 5 o'clock, get out early, get drunk, and hopefully the Yankees can do some, do some damage against, Klu- against Kluber. Any last words, Scott? No, we'll release that show, what, Saturday morning, right? So that'll be, Ish. At, that'll be out it'll Saturday be out morning. It'll be out Saturday. Yeah, we'll, we're yeah. probably going to be recording that one actually on Saturday morning early or late Friday night. So, yeah, hopefully we have uh, something very good. I, I, would, I mean, this is huge. You know, like, 
the backs are up against the wall, so we're going to see what this team is. And, and at the end of the day, this is what we wanted. We wanted the, the Yankees to go against a very hard co- opponent uh, and, and to, to get this. If they don't come out of the series, if they do come out of the series, it's a, it's a ridiculously positive learning experience for this team. And the fact that they're backs up against the wall against one of the best pitchers in major leagues, I mean, honestly, like I like to see that. Let's let's see what they got. Let's see what they got. And also, maybe and also, maybe we'll win. <laughs> and also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I saw we're almost at five hundred. That's friggin' awesome, guys. All right, we'll talk to you on Saturday. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show. We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.